Our text this afternoon is 1 Peter 1, starting at verse 22, through to chapter 2, verse 3. And we'll read those words again. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers Love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. In response to God's word, this afternoon we'll sing hymn 9, stanzas 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Fellow saints, once in a while you will hear that so-and-so is born again. It might be said about some pro sports player or a former Hollywood star, It's said about President George W. Bush. Time magazine will tell you that he's one of those born-again Christians. And maybe you've even met someone on the bus to school or at your workplace who told you quite happily that he or she was born again. We're not always sure what to think of this. We might even be uncomfortable with this language. Sounds... Arminian, maybe. If all those other Christians are born again, what am I? Indeed, if someone asked us, would we describe ourselves in the same way? Are we born again? This afternoon, let's understand right off the top that being born again is good scriptural language. Why, being born again describes something that's absolutely necessary for each one of us. It speaks of something that must take place. Think of what we can read in John 3. There Jesus speaks to a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And Jesus tells him that for a person to enter the kingdom of God, he needs to be born again. No, not to enter his mother a second time. We need to be born of the Spirit. Or think back to chapter 1, verse 3 of this letter. There Peter writes, In his great mercy the Father has given us a new birth into a living hope. Brothers and sisters, can you say that you are born again? I hope that you can. For in our text, Peter wants to teach us about 
where we've come from as Christians. Yes, how is it that we are called the children of God? How should we live now that we are part of God's family? And what does God now expect for the rest of our lives? I preach God's word to you under this theme from 1 Peter 1 and 2. As holy strangers in this world, we've been born again through God's enduring word for showing sincere love and to keep growing up in our salvation. This morning in verse 13, we saw that Peter made an important shift. He began with that therefore, and we know why it's there. The apostle wanted us to see the close connection between God's grace and our gratitude. That inseparable link between the gift of salvation and the calling of service. Therefore, he said, this is how you should live. Be holy in all you do. That was the exhortation at the heart of Peter's words. Be separate. Be strangers on this earth. Show to those around you that you are different and different for God. Dedicate yourself in his service in everything and in every way. As our God is holy, so be holy. But we saw that's a tall order. Those who first read Peter's letter might have walked away wondering, but who can do it? How is it possible to imitate the holiness of the living God? And perhaps we too bang our noses on that hard reality. We've got a lot of work to do. We thought we were doing all right, but God actually calls us to do much more, to do things far greater than we've ever offered before. He has said, be holy in all you do. But rather than let us sink into despair because of our inability, Peter reminds us now how it's possible. He says, you can be holy. You can present your entire life to God. Beloved, you can. Because, verse 23, you have been born again. Something has happened. There has been a change within you. The Father has brought about a new life. Left to ourselves, we know that we would be spiritually stillborn. Dead. Not able to believe, not able to love, not able to persevere. Beloved, without God, we'd still be alive, but truly, we would have no life. Existing, but barely. Walking on earth with hell as destination. Without God, we'd be zombies, enduring the long night of the living dead. Yes, such is the condition of those who don't know the Lord. But now day has dawned. There is light at the end of our tunnel. We've been born again. God has done something marvelous within us. He has made that which was dead 
alive. He has made that which was stone cold into something vital and warm. He has opened the closed mind, softened the hardened heart. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth. And this birth, beloved, is unlike anything else. Indeed, it's not like the day when you or I were born. It's not like when our own children are born. True, the day of a birth is often a joyous day. It's such a blessed thing to have life, to receive life. And yet the reality remains. Physical birth is our entrance into a world that is passing away. Physical birth actually begins that long process of dying. Seventy or eighty years later or less. It's like someone once said rather darkly, every day you live is another day closer to your death. Now those are unpleasant thoughts for a baptism service. Yet that's what Peter is saying. Peter contrasts our first birth with our new birth. The first time we are born, he says, it's of perishable seed. We're all born of only human stuff. We have only a human life. And human life is like that brown grass we see everywhere at this time of the year. As Peter quotes from Isaiah chapter 40, Men are like grass, their glory like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Yes, we spring up quickly in this life, even beautifully. We blossom for a while, but then there is another change in the seasons of time. Soon we have withered. Soon our human glory has faded, and then we are gone. That's the kind of life that awaits even little Kirsten. Short, passing, altogether forgettable, faded away like those summer annuals that used to fill your garden. That's the kind of life that would await this little child and every one of us, if not for the grace of God. For today at her baptism, God the Holy Spirit promised something very special to this child. He promised to transform her. Yes, today he promises to grant her a new birth, even a second birth, though her first one was just a couple weeks ago. And such is the gift that all of us have received. We have all received that promise. And in so many of us, God has begun to fulfill it. He has given us a new kind of life, a new kind of birth. Verse 23, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. And what is the thing that brings us an unfading existence? Well, Peter tells us it's the living and enduring word of God. 
Just like Jesus did in his parable, Peter compares the word to a seed. It's something that is planted within our hearts. And it is something that then springs to life under the blessing of God. Indeed, that's what the Holy Spirit uses to bring about in us a new beginning. New birth doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen, especially when we've left the Bible alone on our bookshelf. New birth happens through the Word. When we read the Word of God, when we hear the message of Jesus Christ, when we pay attention to that resounding call to repent and believe, it is then that something takes place. The Spirit unleashes the power of that imperishable seed. It sinks in. It comes alive. And the amazing result for us who once were dead, we become truly alive. We believe the message we hear. We desire to do the will of God. No, it might not happen all of a sudden. There might not be a date on the calendar that you can point to and say, this is my born-again birthday. New birth might not even fill you with overwhelming emotion or the tinglies. But if you've been born again, there will be in your life a real effect, a real difference. Your life will have a new character. For you'll be glad to know the Lord. And no, your life won't be perfect just yet. Just like when a baby is born, the parents know there's going to be a long process of growing and maturing for that child. But by God's grace, that new life will become something beautiful. Something beautiful in the eyes of God. And the marvelous difference with our new life, beloved, is that it lasts. It is permanent. If we have been born again, we will never die. Sure, our bodies might wither and fade away, but our hearts will go on. Our spirits will live forever. Those who have been born again will never reach the end of their days. Not because of good DNA, not because of fully funded health care. No, we will live forever because of that seed that has sprouted within. We've been born again of imperishable seed, what Peter calls the living and enduring Word of God. It's God's Word, it's God's message at work in our hearts. And Peter reminds his readers, verse 25, this is the word that was preached to you. When I was with you, Peter writes, this is the same message that I brought. This is the life-giving stuff that you can still read in God's word. This is the life-giving news that you hear every Sunday. 
This seed has not been kept from you, but it's been scattered on your hearts, even by the handful. Beloved, that's where your new life is from. And this is how God can fully expect you to be holy in all you do. By yourself, it is impossible. By yourself, you'd be dead in the water. But God has made you alive. He has planted that word in your heart. And so you can do it. You can lead a different style of life. You've been born again, says Peter, for showing sincere love. Sometimes we refer to this group of people here as our church family. Often we refer to one another as brother or as sister. And these terms point to something wonderful that we share. Through his word, God the Father has made us into a family. He has given us the closest possible relationship. We are family. That sounds like a cozy thing because families like to do things together. Families have fun together. Families are places of warmth and acceptance. And that's all very true. But at the same time, there are always obligations on family members. In a family, each brother and sister has to do their part. Yes, the entire family must heed the Father's will. God the Father has made us his family. We've been born again into his household. When we live under his roof, he grants privileges to us. He provides for us. He protects us. He opens his word and he teaches us, his children. But God the Father also wants his family to live in a certain way. He wants us to live in love. That's one of Peter's main concerns in our text. He'll keep coming back to it, telling us you have to love. Even from the very first verse, he places it on the table. Verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. We have purified ourselves, says Peter. He's not saying that we've done this purifying on our own steam but rather through faith in God, we've been purified. We used to be unholy, now we're holy. Formerly impure, now we're moving towards purity. By faith, this process has begun, and now with God's help, we pray that it continues. And so as new people, says Peter, you're holy. That old impurity is being cleared away. So now your hearts are free to do something else. 
They're free to love. And three times Peter says what kind of love this is. He says it's to be a sincere love. It's to be a deep love. It's to be a love that comes from the heart. Peter is repeating himself because you all know it's easy to say that you love someone. It's easy to recite the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. But in our love for one another, we also have to get real. Love sincerely, God commands. That means there ought to be no false motives behind our love. We're not to love in the hopes that we'll get something back. We're not to love so that people will notice perhaps how pious we are. No, God says we must love sincerely with a genuine concern for how our brothers and sisters are doing. We are to love sincerely, doing it because the Father has said so, because we want to show our love to him also. And love one another deeply, God commands. That is, as the family of God, we all must show love strenuously, even persistently. Show love even when love is not returned. We must show love even when it's hard to love. Even when it means you must give someone a brotherly or sisterly rebuke. Because you love this family deeply, not just in the hard, not just in the good times, but in the hard times too. Because of that, you will do what love calls you to do. And God commands love one another deeply from the heart. This also repeats what Peter just said in the prior verse, that we love each other sincerely. And he repeats it because this command is not easy to apply. Think of the sister who sits on the opposite side of the church from you, the one who rarely smiles, the one you've never said a word to. Think of the brother you'd rather avoid in the lobby because he's always got a complaint or two. Think of the young person in the back with the messy hairstyle and the casual clothes. Think of these and others and ask yourselves, do you love them from the heart? Will you also show them love in words and in deeds? If not, what kind of excuse can you offer What reason can we give for going against this plain, straightforward command repeated even three times? God calls us to love one another sincerely, deeply, and from the heart. By new birth, we're God's family. And God wants us to live together in that beautiful bond Love, then, is in the greetings that we give to each other in the lobby. 
Love is in the things we do for those who are sick. Love is in our steadfast prayers for one another. Love is in our encouraging words. When someone has done a good job or when someone weak needs encouragement. Love is in our willingness to serve. In the kitchen during a time of fellowship. In committees, in consistory, in council. Love is in the hospitality we show to one another. Love is in the efforts we make to reach out to that brother or sister that we don't really know. And after speaking of how all this is possible by our new birth through God's word, Peter continues in chapter 2 with another therefore. And we know what that means. Peter is looking back. He's saying, you all have been born again. You have an imperishable life. You have received God's enduring word. So now he says, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. That is, Peter says, now it's time to get rid of all that is contrary to love. No more malice in the family of God. Beloved, let us not harm one another, even with our inactions, even with our simple body language. No more deceit in the family of God. Let us not mislead one another, promising but not fulfilling, saying the right things but doing all wrong. No more hypocrisy. Let us not pretend to be people we're not, nor judge people with standards that we don't even apply to ourselves. No more envy in the family of God. Let us not resent the wealthy brother, the well-dressed sister, the accomplished athlete. And no more slander. Let us not cut one another up with our words, whether direct insults or hidden gossip. Be done with this all. And instead, live in love. That is, Peter will say, work for the good of one another. Let us be honest and open with one another. Rejoice with each other when there is reason to rejoice. Build up your family members with prayer and with praise. Be glad to worship and serve alongside your brothers and sisters in the family of God. Yes, we say it again that it's hard. These kind of things go against the grain. It's even our constant duty. And who can do it? Peter will say, That we can. For we've been born again through the power, through the word of our God. Born again to love. And born again to keep growing up in our salvation. Babies are beautiful. Like new parents can tell you, they could just hold their newborn for hours on end. 
stroking the smooth skin, admiring those delicate fingers, playing with the fine dusting of hair. Babies are beautiful, but you can't just hold them forever. For they've got to eat. They've got to sleep. Later, they've also got to work their muscles. The thing is, as much as parents cherish that newborn stage, they also want this little one to grow up, to develop. That's the natural, healthy course of events for a new life. And so it is with us, beloved. We have been born again. It's a beautiful thing. It really is to see it not only in yourself, but to see it in others. How God is at work. How faith is coming alive. How that true love is starting to show. It's wonderful when parents see it in their own children. When pastors see it in their sheep. When friends see it in their friends. Being born again is beautiful but we cannot forget what is yet to come. That is, just like those parents of a newborn realize, a lot more growth is needed. Someone who has been born again has to progress from that point, has to carry on. And that's what Peter urges in the final part of our text. He writes, verse 2 of chapter 2, like newborn babies crave spir- pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. He first reminds the readers of what they are like, newborns. Yes, some of these Christians had come to the faith only quite recently, turning aside from false religions and towards the true God. Others had known the Lord for many years, perhaps like many of us have. And yet Peter calls all of us to growth. And how will we grow, beloved? How will we develop as Christians? Peter sticks with that image of a newborn and he says, crave pure spiritual milk. For like any nursing mother will tell you, a little one certainly craves the milk that mom produces. For a baby, that is the stuff of life. It is the one source of sustenance available, the one source that is needed. And a baby will make every use of the opportunity to get her fill, even late at night. Peter says to us Christians, you've been born again. Now you've got to keep on growing. And to do so, you've got to drink in eagerly the spiritual milk. Drink in that stuff that will make you stronger. And what could this nourishment be? Well, it can only be the word of God. Granted new life Through the word, it is the word that will keep us alive and make us stronger. Drink it in, says Peter, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. 
babies just a couple hours old quickly figure out where the food's coming from. And born-again Christians should figure it out too. Beloved, if you have confidence in the Lord, if you have a desire to do God's will, if you hate the sins you still commit, this is a small taste of the goodness of God. Yes, we have tasted of God's power and grace. We have found the true source of life. And so having found it, we must seek it more and more. We must seek the pure spiritual milk of God's word. The milk that you should know by now is so good. And so, beloved, this text calls each one of us to take very seriously our growth as Christians. It calls us to devote ourselves to the study of Scripture. It calls us to devote ourselves to being here in church whenever you possibly can. These are the things that we must crave. These are things not to put off until the last moments of the day, prayer and daily worship. These are opportunities not to pass up quickly, being pacified by whatever excuse we can find. No, think again of that newborn child, drinking almost constantly, craving milk day and night. That's what we ought to do with the things of God and his word. Crave it. Drink it in. Recognizing that this is the stuff of life. The stuff that will nourish our lives as Christians. Sometimes I think we confuse a childlike faith with a faith that is childish. Yes, it's good to have a childlike faith. A simple trust in the promises and provision of God. Not to talk back, not to question, but to accept in deep humility. Every child of God must aspire to a childlike faith, for such a faith is pleasing to the Father. But, beloved, God is not pleased with children who could know better. He is not happy with children who refuse to grow up, children who are childish. For the Father calls all of us to maturity. The Father calls us to develop our relationship with Him. Indeed, says Peter, grow up in your salvation. Seek to understand more and more what it is that God has granted you. Seek to mature more and more in your faith. Seek to grow more and more in your love for your brothers and sisters. Yes, that is the calling of our text. You have been born again. And thank the Lord that you can say it, I am born again. Say it not with pride. Say it not thinking that now it's time to stroll to eternity. 
but say it with prayer. A prayer to increase in sincere love. A prayer to keep on craving that pure spiritual milk. A prayer to keep on growing up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Amen.